this one, I think I actually mentioned at the last retreat that I was going to do, for sure. And this one's about knowledge. And we're going to uh, take our scripture from uh, Hosea 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. And I'm reading from the Living Bible Translation. I have probably three different versions I'm going to be reading from tonight. But it says, Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has filed a lawsuit against you, listing the following charges. There is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You swear and lie, which we dealt with earlier, and kill and steal and commit adultery. There is violence everywhere, with one murder after another. That is why your land is not producing. It is filled with sadness, and all living things grow sick and die. The animals, the birds, and even the fish begin to disappear. Don't point your finger at someone else and try to pass the blame to him. Look, priest, I am pointing my finger at you. As a sentence for your crimes, you priests will stumble in broad daylight as well as in the night. And so will your false prophets too. And I will, re will destroy your mother, Israel. My people are destroyed because they don't know me. And it's all your fault, you priest. For you yourselves refuse to know me. Therefore, I refuse to recognize you as my priest. And since you have forgotten my laws, I will forget to bless your children. So here we have uh, one of our main scriptures that we like to talk, uh, that you hear quoted a lot. In the King James Version of Version 6 says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. They don't perish, but they're destroyed. So knowledge, deal with the definition for a minute. This word is translated from several Hebrew and Greek words covering a wide range of meanings. It can mean intellectual understanding personal experience, emotion, or personal relationship. Even in the Bible, it's known between husband and wife that they knew one another. Knowledge is attributed both to God and to human beings. With God's knowledge, it is said to be omniscient, for he knows all things. His understanding is beyond measure. He knows the thoughts of our minds and the secrets of our hearts. He knows past events, present happenings, and future events all concurrently. The knowledge that God has of people and or nations indicates that he has personal interests, not merely in awareness or people, but it, he's personally interested in you to say that God knows you. To be known by God may mean, to, may mean that a nation or individual is chosen by God to play a part in God's purposes in the world. John 10 and 14 says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so know I the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So there has to be two way here. He has to know you, you have to know him. In Exodus 33 and 12 to 13, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. 
If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. In verse number 17, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do everything you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. So when God comes to somebody in the scriptures and tells them he's already omniscient, there's no doubt that he knows everything, but for him to verbally come and express that he knows you means that he's invested a personal interest in you for you to play a part in his creation. In these two scriptures, we can see the power of mutual knowledge. But the key to knowledge is revelation by inquiry and search. This is why so many of our own relationships fail. We don't know one another. The more concealment there is in a relationship, the less knowledge there is. We're commanded by Paul not to lie one to another. So with self-revelation comes vulnerability. Understood, but we cannot ignore the great blessing that comes with vulnerability when we experience real love and comfort as a result. So because we've been hurt, a lot of us put our walls up. Some of them are picket fences, some are brick walls, some are <laughs> steel walls. We built vaults. But because of the great reward that there is with self-revealing you're going to be rewarded for that so just because you've been hurt some of us have completely shut down we've enclosed ourselves we've you know we let people see a little glimpse of who we are but the real blessing really is in revealing yourself this is the blessing of God revealing himself to mankind and us to him so the Bible not only speaks about God's knowledge, but it also speaks about human knowledge. The primary knowledge of the human being that of God, which is the greatest knowledge and puts all other knowledge in its right perspective. Knowledge of God is the chief duty of mankind in the Old Testament. The people of God know him through what he does for his people. And this knowledge is not simply theoretical, but it's factual. It includes experiencing the reality of God in one's life and living one's life in a manner that shows a respect for the power and majesty of God. In the New Testament, one knows God through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So here we got if you don't have that personal experience, there's no way for you to know God. If you don't know him, Jesus says that I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So if there's a problem here and we don't really know, we may not be his sheep. So let's explore this uh, scripture that we, the first one we read, Hosea 1, Hosea 4 and 1. So the complaint that God had against them is not for the lack of general knowledge. The knowledge referred to here is God knowledge, personal knowledge of the creator. This is the primary knowledge. Remember, he started in verse number one. Hear the word of the Lord, O Israel, O people of Israel. The Lord has filed a lawsuit against you with the following charges. There is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. Not just knowledge, but there's no knowledge of God in your land. And like he told the priest, because you refuse to know me, there's no way for you to introduce me to the people. 
So let's deal here with a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 9 10 says, For the reverence and the fear of God are basic to all wisdom. Knowing God results in every other kind of understanding. In Hosea 6, verse 6 says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. And I think that the whole religious world should really just take that and work with it for a year. I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. So there must be a difference there. Because we think, oh, if I sacrifice, that means I love him. He says, necessarily not so. And I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. So we can't get so caught up in sacrifices and offerings instead of the love and the knowledge. We always say knowledge is power. Hosea 6 in the uh, message translation, that same scripture says, I'm after love that lasts, not mere religion. I want you to know God, not go to more prayer meetings. Israel was supposed to gain this knowledge that they were supposed to have from the pastors, which God gave them, who were supposed to give them and feed them knowledge and understanding. This is found in Jeremiah 3, verse 14. Return, O faithless children of the whole 12 tribes, says the Lord, for I am Lord and master and husband to you, and I will take you, not as a nation, but individually, one from a city and two from a tribal family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you spiritual shepherds after my own heart in the final time who will feed you with knowledge and understanding and judgment. Now, that's fine, but somehow we end up at Isaiah 29 and 13, where he says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me and their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. So somewhere along the line, that which started out as teaching the precepts of God. Because God gave them pastors or teachers and here he's really talking about kings and priests after his heart that should feed the people. Somewhere along the line, that teaching of God turned into the teaching of men. This is the quandary we found mankind in when Jesus came on the scene and started his ministry, which is why he was so against the Sadducees, the Pharisees and the scribes, because they were all caught up in their own teachings instead of his. So I looked up a little statistic in the Bible and I wondered when he when he talked about this, because they really didn't have pastors that's really set up the way pastors are in the time that we're living in now. But he's talking about the kings and the priests. So I looked up the kings and usually with most kings in the Bible, the Bible lets you know usually how long they reign, what age they were when they started reigning and whether they were evil or they were good. So there were 43 kings. And possibly 42, it's, it's kind of argumented whether one of them served for both kingdoms at a particular time after the, the kingdom of Israel split. But of the 43 kings, seven did right. It's 43. Seven did right. 31 did evil. Three of them started out good in their youth, but ended old with evil. 
One of them straddled the fence. He just went back and forth from good to evil, his life. And then one is unknown, probably because his, king, his kingship was so short. Again, out of 43 kings, this is the kings of Israel and Judah. Seven did right. They were righteous in God's eyes. 31 flat out were evil. Three of them started out good, but ended up evil. So that's really 34 evil. Seven to 34. And you know, statistics really don't change over time a lot of times. So you wonder what that number would carry over to today. If we look at those who are responsible to teach and feed us on knowledge and understanding, if we go with these statistics, it, it doesn't look too good. This is why we have to pray with what we're learning, what we're reading, what we're hearing in our ears to ask God, is this your truth? Is this your word? Is this really anointed? Is this, is this really coming from you? Because some stuff can sound good, but it may not be good for us to feed into our system. So this knowledge can now only be given by Jesus Christ. If we want the knowledge, there's no other person you can go to to get God knowledge. Knowing God personally, there's nowhere you can get it except from Jesus Christ. He says in Matthew 11 and 25, at that time, Jesus said, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank you because you have shown to the unlearned what you have hidden from the wise and learned. Yes, Father, that was how you were pleased to have it happen. My Father has given me all things. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and put it on you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in spirit and you will find rest for the yoke I will give you is easy and the load I will put on you is light. Notice that he says, learn from me. The King James Version says, learn of me. Now, most people have interpreted this phrase as learn about him. But no, the actual term is learn from me, directly from me. Don't get it from somebody else. You have to take my yoke upon you and learn directly from me. Not about me. So many people are caught up in learning about Christ, but they haven't learned from Christ. Paul quotes the scripture and we quote it wrong too. I know in whom I have believed. But Paul says, I know who I have believed. The person I got it from, I know I believed Christ. Christ appeared to me personally on the road to Damascus. I know who I have believed, not in whom, but I, I, the one in whom I believe is the one whom I believe. I didn't get this from Peter. Paul got it directly from Jesus, as did the other 11, as should the rest of the body of Christ. That's not to say that teaching is not part of a ministry, but if you're going to ever be introduced to Christ, the Bible says no man can come to the father except what the spirit draw him and no man can get to the father. But by me, Jesus says, you got to go through him to get to him. So the burden that Jesus is referring to 
all ye that are heavy laden, that you're burdened down. What were they burdened down with? These were the rules and the regulations that were invented to replace the simple knowledge of God. That transition from when God says, I'll give you pastors that'll feed you knowledge and understanding. But Isaiah says you ended up only learning worship by rules taught by men. That's a burden. He says in Luke 11 and 46, Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load the people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. All that testing Jesus while he was here on earth, it irritated him to no end. He was always irritated with the religious folk. Well, Lord, they didn't wash their hands. Lord, they didn't do this and they didn't do that. Lord, they're over there with the publicans. What are you doing over there with the sinners? And he always had to shut them up and confound them. Let them know it's not about what's on the outside of the cup. It ain't about washing your hands. It's about washing your heart. These are the people that were supposed to know and recognize who he was, not the ones that he had to prove to them who he was. We can't get in a battle of always having God have to prove himself to us. When he comes and says, I am God, we are to just rest in the knowledge that he is God, that he's got it under control. So what does it take to acquire this knowledge of God that can only come by revelation given by Jesus himself? One must abandon all vices, philosophies, ideologies, lifestyles, teachings, or whatever that stand against the knowledge of God. One must take a stand against any and everything that will potentially prohibit or hinder the ability for one to truly find and know God. We should be set for the defense of the gospel, which is the good news, which is that liberating message, setting an individual truly free. So let's explore that thought. First, um, uh, no, Second Corinthians 10 and 5 says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So true spiritual weapons will aid us in knowing God. Second Corinthians 11 and three, he says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So our minds become corrupt if we abandon the simple knowledge of God through Christ. And this happens through craftiness. And deceit, the lies that Satan comes to you with. And finally, Philippians 3. But whatever was my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Then he says, I want to know Christ. 
and the power of his resurrection. That's what I want. If you think about Paul, if you ever study his background, where he came from, the education that he had was second to none. He sat at the feet of one who was in the Sanhedrin court. He himself said, as touching the law, he was perfect. That means he knew the law backwards and forwards. He would be one that you could go to and dispute things with concerning the law. Paul was a professor of the law of God. Not the United States law. He didn't have a law degree in California. He had a law degree of Judaism. But he says, I'm throwing all of that out the window because all of that stuff did not lead me to Christ. It didn't. He says, so I'm going to throw it out the window. Now I just want to know Christ and his resurrection. And the sharing of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, if we trace this back through history, we find some things. When God created Adam, he spoke to Adam. He revealed himself. Remember, knowledge is all about self-revelation. When God called Abraham, he revealed himself, initiating a friendship. In fact, the Bible said that they were friends. When God blessed Jacob to become Israel, then that whole nation experienced him firsthand. This is the way God designed for it to be. Simply put, he created man for himself. It was never his intention to have a middleman stand between him and his creation. But man reached his lowest when after sinning against God, they decided that they wanted a man to become God's mouthpiece. If you remember in the book of Exodus, once they got to the mountain, they were at the point where God was ready to speak to them himself. He used Moses to get them to that point. But once they got there, he spoke to them one time and they, their hearts were so sinful that they thought that they were going to die from the sound of his voice. So they said, Lord, Moses, please tell God, don't speak to us. Same thing happens today. We don't want to hear from God. We, I want to hear from one of these men. I want my knowledge from them. Moses really didn't want to do it. But convinced by God, God ended up giving him command over the people. But he did it because the Bible says that in the last days, there shall be a prophet like unto me. Hear ye him. So he set Moses up as a type of Christ that, that in the last day, there's going to be a prophet that the people will know. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Now, his real sheep won't be like the children of Israel and say, Lord, I don't want to hear your voice myself. I just want somebody else to give it to me because like Pina said when when you get knowledge of God you get that experience firsthand there's going to be a struggle in your life there's going to be something that you have sacrificed something that you have given up something that you have struggled with in order to gain that relationship it's not going to be easy it's more than just words on the paper and a lesson that somebody typed out life experience with God is going to take some bumps it takes a journey it takes some some bruises and he knows how to put you back together and keep you your mind stable for the endurance of the journey but the question is will you have the tenacity to hold on to him and wrestle to the morning with the angel do, do we want to know god or do we want to know by through somebody else's experience 
hearsay. So again, man reached his lowest when after sinning against God, they decided they wanted a man to become God's mouthpiece. It was this point from which they reached our text that we find in, in Isaiah 29, placing their eternal fate in the hands of man's precepts. Despite God granting their wish, over time, those responsible for dispensing knowledge of God became increasingly corrupt. God gave his people pastors for the sole purpose of dispensing knowledge and understanding. Yet those pastors, those kings, remember out of 43, seven were good, 34 were evil. One straddled the fence and one we don't know about. They were evil. They failed God miserably, basically ensuring the exact opposite of what, what God desired for his people. This is why Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. It was the knowledge of him that got lost in the process. Ultimately, only God can reconcile us back to himself through the person and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus pronounced freedom to the people, telling them that he alone could give them knowledge that leads to eternal life. And before his earthly departure, he promised this task of dispensing knowledge would be commenced by the Holy Ghost. Okay, so we have God. Beginning of time comes down. Speaks directly to Adam, speaks directly to everyone that he called Abraham. He didn't send somebody else to speak to him. He called him himself. Jesus steps on the scene. Nobody knows the father but me. Nobody knows me but the father. If you're going to be my sheep, I have to reveal God to you. Nobody can come to the father but by me. Before he leaves, he gives them this. From the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31. In 31, he says, the day will come, says the Lord. When I will make a new contract with the people of Israel and Judah, and it won't be like the one I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a contract that they broke, forcing me to reject them, says the Lord. But this is the new contract I will make with them. I will inscribe my laws upon their hearts so that they shall want to honor me. Then they shall truly be my people and I will be their God. At that time, it will no longer be necessary to admonish one another to know the Lord. This day that God is talking about when he puts his law in the people's heart, it will not be necessary anymore for one to admonish one another to know the Lord. For everyone, both great and small, shall really know me says the Lord, and I will forgive and forget their sins. The King James Version of, of verse 34 says, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Our knowledge of God cannot come from our neighbor or our brother. It must come through personal relationship with Christ. I wish we could really get the world to understand this. Remember, Jesus' command to take his yoke upon us and learn from him, not about him. Learn from him. 
This is not to say that we don't have a duty to study and teach the word of God to our fellow man. Okay, we keep it all in perspective. We still have the fivefold ministry. We still have the gifts of the spirit. Paul still says for us to submit ourselves one to another. We still have fellowship. We still have teachers. We still have pastors. We still have uh, prophets and evangelists and all of these different offices. We have the gift of knowledge and the gift of wisdom. But the knowledge of Christ himself can only come from him. The knowledge of God only comes when we take the yoke of Jesus and learn directly from him. This applies from the least to the greatest. In other words, the greatest cannot reveal God to the least. So when it comes to God knowledge, there is no hierarchy whatsoever. This is when we get to Paul says the head of every man is Christ or the head of the woman is the man. The head of the man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. That's his order. We stick a whole lot of other stuff in there. John 14 and 26. Now Christ, when he's about to leave, he's going to hand the ministry off now. Let's see who he hands it off to. 14 and 26 of John. But the comforter, which is the counselor or the helper, the intercessor or the advocate. And I like this one, the strengthener or the standby. The Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name. He's going to send it in my place to represent me and act on my behalf. He will teach you all things. And he will cause you to recall everything that I have told you. And then in chapter 16, in verse number 12 to 13, he says, I have yet many things to say unto you. This is my first time ever catching the scripture. Jesus tells them, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. So contrary to popular teaching, the ministry of Christ was not over when he got up from the grave. It wasn't even over when he ascended on high. There were things that Jesus wanted to tell his disciples that they were not ready to hear. The deliverer of these things that he wanted to tell them would be the Holy Ghost. Okay, now we have the Great Commission and we have him telling the the disciples, the 70, which grew into, what was the number of Pentecost? 120. We have him telling them, go and wait in Jerusalem till you be endued with power. high." But he tells them, I got some other stuff I want to tell you. But it's only got to come from the Holy Ghost. It can't come from another man. You're not ready to hear. I'm God in the flesh, but you're not ready for this. There's going to have to take some time for you to hear what the spirit wants to teach you now. God knowledge. So there were things that Jesus wanted to tell his disciples that they were not ready to hear. The deliverer of these things would be the Holy Ghost. Not only would the Holy Ghost bring things to their memory that Jesus had already taught them. But he would commence teaching them all things. So he would teach them things that they were not taught before is what he's saying. You've been with me three and a half years. You see me work miracles. You see me feed the hungry. You see me 
do all of these miracles, cast out demons. I taught you about the kingdom to come. I taught you about the end time things. There's some other things that I want to tell you about. The Holy Ghost is going to have to teach you. That's why he's called the comforter. Why is it the comforter? Because I'm, when he teaches me, it's, it's, it's going to be through some form of comforting. There's no need for comforting where there is no turmoil. So he's telling them there's going to be some trouble in your life that you're going to need the comforter for. And the, the, the worst thing you can do in the midst of turmoil is go to the wrong source. So here we are in our struggles. I don't know what everybody's going through in this room, but in whatever struggle you are in, in whatever struggle you've been through, you wanted some knowledge. You wanted some wisdom. You wanted some type of understanding to put all things together, to connect some dots, to find out what in the world is going on in my life. So let me go over to this brother. Let me converse with this sister. God says you're perishing because you don't know me. You're not getting the knowledge from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Sometimes I'm, I want to isolate you, get you away from that person. That you think got all the answers. They can't help you because like Peanut taught earlier today, it's hearsay. Everybody's got to go through their own and get their own personal understanding. You got to become a witness. You got to see and hear some things yourself. So all that can be known of God did not end with the apostles or the writings of the New Testament. Don't believe nobody to tell you God ain't speaking to people. Don't believe nobody that tells you that scripture is done being written. Because the Bible tells us that we are still being written. We're epistles. And as long as you're alive, God is constantly writing your book. So there's millions of books of scripture being written right, uh, right now. Could you imagine the book and, 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 and the, oh my God, in heaven, John said the books were open. The book of life. And then what, there were other books. I wonder if those other books are going to be the book of Jock and the book of Andre and the book of Zoe and the, the book of Tony. Let's let's read. God, God may stand up and just say, Let, let's read from the book of Natalie. Let's let's see what happened in this book. You read about David. You read about Solomon. You, you read about all these. people, But there's some other books I want y'all to understand. Do, but, but you got to know him. My people perish because they don't know me. So Paul tells us that we shouldn't be ignorant. The New Testament writings presume the knowledge of God in the church. The writers presume that we know some things, whether by the taught word of God or the ministry of the Holy Ghost. They just Assumed when they wrote stuff that, you know, the phrase, know ye not, it's found 13 times in the New Testament. Don't you know this? The writers keep asking. Well, how would they know it? They obviously the writers had assumed either they were taught by the ministries they were under or direct revelation from God through Christ, the Holy Ghost. 
But I think that all of these scriptures can be summed up in one, one of them. And I just pulled one of them out because I didn't want to read all 13. But 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, I think, sums up all of the know ye not scriptures. And it's going to come down to something that you should be very familiar with. Verse number five says, examine yourselves. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Then he asks a question. Know ye not your own selves? How that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. So we must stop relying on the validation of others to measure our faith. Paul says, examine yourselves. You have enough knowledge. If you claim to be his sheep, then you know the shepherd. If you know the shepherd, then the shepherd has told you something about yourself. So he's asked, don't you know yourselves? If the Holy Ghost is in you, you should know yourself. These are some some deep little scriptures that we read over really fast. Like one I, I posted this week when Jesus says. The way that the father knows me, I know the father. Not just the fact that I know him, but the way in which he knows me, every intricate detail that he knows about me, I know about him. God. Jesus says, I know God, the father of creation, as intricately as he knows me. And then he said, I'm willing to give you a glimpse of that knowledge. Paul says we see through a glass darkly and we have enough that that over time we're going to be turned into the image that we see through the dark glass. So stop relying on everybody else to validate your faith. Looking for a confirmation. Looking for two or three witnesses because the Bible said out of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. He was talking about being people being put to death on the trial. That's what that scripture came from. You cannot execute somebody just on one testimony. There must be two or three witnesses. I got to see. I got to make sure I got confirmation. Don't you know yourself? Is Christ in you or are you a reprobate? Because a reprobate is somebody that God no longer talks to. This is when everybody runs around with a chicken like their head cut off. Wonder what am I supposed to do? What's my gift? Where am I supposed to be in Christ? What what do am I saved? Am I lost? Where am I? Can I do this? Can't I do that? Go sit down, pray, read the word of God. Tell God to reveal himself to you. If you're being led by Christ, he will never give you anything, any liberty that goes against his word. We should trust God enough to direct you in the right path. And most people know when they're trying to fool themselves, giving themselves liberties, they know the word God didn't give them. You can't do that. Don't try to fool yourself. That is not permissible. Too many scriptures tell you you can't do that. And sometimes we get so frivolous with things like that to where we really cannot get into the things of God and, and the attributes of God and what he wants to reveal to himself. Because we so foolish with these other little things of nitpicking. Like the Sadducees and Pharisees. Why? Because you don't know him. 
You're depending on somebody's little religious system to give you every little clearance, every little prohibition. These people didn't have the Bible written for them. They had the Holy Ghost. We have it. But they didn't have the scriptures. They, read, they, they met together in houses and they read the scriptures. In fact, they read the scriptures more than they gave sermons. They would just read the scroll. And God would give light upon certain ones. And Paul told them how to do that. And even in the midst of your small churches, when there's a crowd in the building, you don't just go speaking off in tongues. Everybody in the building speaking in tongues. Who's getting edified? Paul said, I'd rather speak two or three words that are understandable by somebody else that gives them something for the victory of their fight than to speak all day in tongues. Yeah, we want to see here, see folks speaking tongues for hours. Come on, come on, come on. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Come on, you ain't spoken. Come on, you ain't spoken two days. Come on, speak. You should speak every day. No, no, the Bible didn't tell you you should speak every day. Paul says that when I speak in tongues, I don't understand. The Bible just told us that the knowledge of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't understand all thy getting, get an understanding. So here we are trying to prove to ourselves that I have the Holy Ghost. Don't you know ye not that Christ is in you? They, they assume that you know this. Some are so unsure. They've spoken in tongues 150 times since they first got it and are still unsure if they got it. It's time for us to wake up and stop being infants. Grow up in Christ. Grow in mercy. Grow in great. Grow in knowledge. Grow in understanding. Don't you know that Christ lives in you? And for my last scripture, let's all get Proverbs 2. He tells us to do something here. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. He says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. And if you look for it is a silver and search for it is for it as for hidden treasure then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Godly knowledge. He says, if you call out for wisdom or insight and cry out loud for understanding or knowledge, then he has all of these things stored up for you. But you got to cry out for it. We can't rely on the fivefold ministry to always give it to us. And I thank God for the fivefold ministry. I look for nuggets that I hadn't pondered. Write down my notes. But that's their testimony. That's, that's how God is ministering through them. And it's good for the body of Christ. And sometimes you could take that stuff and, it, and then when you go through your test and your trial and you go, oh, I remember 
this brother, that brother, that sister told me this long time ago. But for your daily walk, you have to get your knowledge, like those don't say, from the cross. That's not to say that we don't need the, I've got to get that straight because, you know, folk go back and say all this. The fivefold ministry is put for the perfecting of the body of Christ. But the knowledge has to come from Jesus himself. You can't know him apart from that. He designed it that way. He wanted, when he created man, he didn't create a mediator when he created man. He created man for himself. He says, I'm going to talk to him every day. Somewhere along the line, that became a disconnection between the two of them. And then he set up the priest and the teaching and ministries and all of that stuff. And then in the end, in the New Testament church, we get to see how all of this stuff played out and comes in. But the one thing that we forgot to get back to is that knowledge has, you have to take his yoke upon you and learn from him. I want y'all to take that from that scripture, not learn about him, but to learn from him. So many people get caught up in studying the life of Christ. That's good. But at the, at the end of it, do you really know him? Have you learned what you know from him? Because that knowledge, could you imagine what that knowledge is? The knowledge directly from him, which is why he didn't come unglued when things didn't, didn't seem to be going right. Because he knew. Paul didn't lose his step because he knew who he believed. Peter didn't stumble. He, he, he knew. I know. I know. We're sure that you're the Christ. So many times John says, and we know. Even the scripture that we talked about today. We know that all things work together for them that believe. How do you know? Christ has to teach it to you. The problem is we've been learning that scripture from man's viewpoint. That's why we've been so fighting so many of us have talked about that scripture fighting struggling with it i just can't understand how all things work to you why do i have to go through this you heard another man quote that scripture and you think that you caught understanding from it just by them quoting it but he says we know how do you know the knowledge has to come from christ i think that that scripture may not be an overall scripture of life i think that that scripture sometimes could be an end of life experience oh now I know. Sometimes we can't know in the middle of it. We, we, you know, at halftime, some games are too close to call. You don't know who's going to win the game. But at the end, you can look at the replay and say, oh, my God, now I know that all things work together for them that love God and call it to, according to his purpose.